How's it going? Good, how are you? Good. I was so excited when I got the email from White Bear PR about bringing you on. I always knew that you were a conductor, but this is actually the first time I've seen your composition work, which is really exciting for me. Yeah, well, this is really, well, thank you for having me. Um, this is like my first, very first major studio project. So I didn't really have, you know, enough opportunities to show my work as a composer yet, because, you know, my my works has been, I don't know, my works have been rather smaller scale. So this is like, yeah, so it's a little overwhelming, the scale that this one is at. All the, you know, publicity and stuff, I'm not really used to it. A little scary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm sure you've, you know, at least seen it from the sidelines a little bit uh, with Freddie. Yeah, yeah. And Freddie told me, because um, he, uh, I showed him he, uh, the email that you wanted to talk to me, and like, oh yeah, she's good. Like you're in good hands. <laughs> okay, okay, good, good, good. Because like, I'm terrified of speaking, you know, to strangers, be and this is going to go on record. And I think that the thought is like terrifying that somebody will actually listen to what I'm going to say, and it's going, it's going to. Um, it's going to stay so but you know freddie said don't worry about it you know she's going she's going to take good care of you so take good care of me sapphire please <laughs> you, you got it well one thing i think i kind of have an advantage of with doing this show is i am a composer myself i'm in oh. my fourth year of my ba in music composition actually um nice. and i've done a few indie films and the, the show, Chatting with Creators, the general audience is actually music students. So this is really, you know, a kind of platform where you can go as deep into the nitty gritty as you want. And if you know, you say modulation instead of key change, people are still gonna know what you're talking about. It's all good. That's nice. Because <laughs> like, I, I was, yeah. on another show, I had to explain what, um, you know what what an orchestrator's job really really entails and uh, you know copyists all that and then I thought oh my god like I never thought this could be completely foreign to regular people because like you know we just use it as like very 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 normal uh terms but yeah, what does that mean to other like you know people outside this small circle? That it was kind of an eye-opening uh, thing for me. So yeah, but I can be just like yeah, orchestration, whatnot, oh, <laughs> and they'll all understand. Exactly. No, actually, last week I was telling my dad, yeah, I just got a job being a copyist for um, a professor at my school, and he's like, oh, that's cool. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which school do you go to, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, um, I am at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, so okay. the Glencorf School of Music. Oh, okay. Because, um, you know, like when I went to undergraduate, which is, which is what, 22 years ago, you know, there was not, there were not many, um, you know, colleges that teach film scoring specifically, you know, 
I, I believe Berkeley was the only one that had the um, undergraduate program. That's why I went there. But I'm glad that there's so many and like, you know, you don't have to travel so far to get good education, you know? Yeah, I got, I, my BA is just in composition, not specifically in film scoring, just because I wanted a more general view. Right, right. But we, I got to study under uh, Professor Tom Larson down here, who actually is an alum from Berkeley. Ah. So it's nice seeing, you know, all of the people leaving Berkeley and now going out into making these film scoring programs all right. over. Right, yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. Well, getting away from pedagogy and more into why we are here today, you got to work on episode seven for The Boys, Diabolical, um, on Amazon Prime. For um, our audience who might not be familiar with you and your work before, uh, would you please introduce yourself and just the project? Uh, okay, so... Um... Um, my name is Hazel Weedman, and I work as orchestrator, conductor, and composer. Um, my work is, I think, better known as, uh, you know, uh, as orchestrator and conductor. Um, I've done many DC Comics movies, and like most recent one that uh, you guys might recognize. Uh, is the film called The Night House, a beautiful score by Ben Lovett and uh, featuring Rebecca Hall. I believe she directed, no, did she? She- I don't remember if she directed. Okay, yeah, I, oh, my memory's fake. I'm so sorry. Um, okay, they can look it, it up on IMDb later. Yes, <laughs> look it up. <laughs> I don't want to feed you like, you know, half-assed answer. So look it up, please. Um, yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's my orchestration, orchestration and conducting work. And uh, recently I had this huge honor of um, writing my own score for one of the episodes, one of the eight episodes of the Boys Diabolical. It's a spin-off animation show of The Boys, which is like really popular Amazon Prime show. And my episode had very like um, Korean details in it. So I was brought on as, you know, Korean American composer. And I had so much fun writing the score. And um, now it's out on Amazon for everybody to watch. And it's the soundtrack is also out for everybody to stream. So go ahead and check it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So one thing that was pointed out to me with how you and um, Steven, the director, were working on you know building this episode and building the score a lot of the keywords I saw in those descriptions was putting a huge emphasis on cultural sensibility. Yeah. What does that mean to you in general and especially in a context such as this? Um, uh, I don't, okay, let's see if I can answer this. Well, 
I think maybe I can just tell you this story and maybe this will answer your, um, you know, like both questions. Um, you know, like depending on where you grow up in, in what type, what stage of your life, it somehow defines your um, sensibility, I guess, like, you know, uh, the culture, like what, what culture that, what culture affects you. And for me, I was born and raised in Korea. So it was, it's still in me, right? And uh, the supervising director, Giancarlo, told me when he's the one who brought me on the project. And he, um, he just told me very brief synopsis of the story. And this is about a, a story of two Korean, uh, two Korean immigrant couple, old couple, and like a little bit of story. And then immediately I thought, hmm, I wonder if I could use the Korean folk song called Arirang to be somehow, you know, incorporated into the score because their story and um, the little bit of, you know, the sadness and having to say goodbye, all that really, I, you know, I personally felt connected to the song Arirang. And then I mentioned that during our first meeting and one of, one of the producers said, oh my God, that's exactly what Steve said. So Steve had the same idea of uh, incorporating Arirang into our, our, our uh, episode. So, and it, I hadn't even talked to Steven, Steve yet at that point. So I thought, okay, I guess this is why he brought me on. You know, this is why he wanted a Korean uh, American composer who understands Korean culture because obviously to both of us, it was very, um, it came very naturally. So I think, does that answer your question somehow? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that's a great way to do it. And especially because this is a podcast, people are here for the stories. So mm -hmm. it's perfect. Okay, good. Um, kind of bouncing off of that, um, these past few years, I mean, it kind of started with, you know, K-pop getting really mm -hmm. big in, you know, the 2010s, but then um, especially after Squid Game and everything, right. um, and a bit before that, but Squid Game was really pushed it forward. Korean media has been a huge, heavy influence in mm -hmm. um, not just American, but also uh, European Right. Uh, media now right what has that been like for you you know having grown up in Korea and now being you know at the center of it as a composer seeing that kind of change in the writing and influence of our current you know shows oh well <laughs> well you know I've been living in America for a very long time and for a very long time in the beginning like you know let's say up until i would say mid 2000 when i tell people that i was born in korea i was raised in korea people will go hmm okay <laughs> you know <laughs> i get that reaction when i say my mom's from the philippines yeah well yeah there you go hmm okay like 
where is it exactly? And then I, I explained, and then they was, okay, so are you from North Korea or South Korea? So, and until I think who opened the door, like it initially was Sai with Gangnam Style, I guess. And then suddenly everybody was singing like Gangnam Style. When was that? Anyway, um, now, like, you know, you if you, when you turn on the radio, you hear BTS songs and like there's Parasite, Minari, Yoon Jung. There's so many like uh, Korean culture icons that are so well known in America. And I mean, personally, I could not be more proud. And especially <laughs> like when there's a, you know, Korean lyrics in, in a BTS song and I realized that I'm the only one that is like understanding <laughs> around me, like and like oh, I understand everything. <laughs> um, so there's a little, you know, little moments like that. I feel really proud, but it wasn't always like that. You know, there were times like my full name is Gemma Hayes Whitman, and there were times that. I was um, questioning myself if I'm limiting my opportunity to go by Korean name. But like right now, like, oh yeah, I made the right call. <laughs> so um, yeah. That, yeah, it's really cool to hear that story. I. Myself growing up as an Asian American um, mm. and the child of immigrants, I've seen, you know, kind of these like, sh you know, the shifting tides of how it works, especially because so many people on my mom's side of the family are involved in the entertainment business as well. Oh, wow. And so they've got, yeah, mainly in the fashion world. I'm the musician. Ooh, <laughs> so it's been interesting to, you know, see the tides changing, though yes. I will admit, I have had times when people like have wrongly asked me, so do you understand the BTS lyrics? I'm like, no, <laughs> wrong kind of Asian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you know, they're trying, there was right. some efforts. Yeah. But you know, I'm, I have, you know, we have to admit that right compared to the climate um, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like this is awesome. I am, you know, I'm raising two children or half Korean and you know I could I tell them to be proud to be you know of their heritage and I I hope that they carry that for the rest of their lives and I think the world is somehow you know going to towards the towards the right direction in terms of you know all the troubles that we had to deal with as earlier generations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do your kids understand when you guys are listening to the radio yet? Yeah. Awesome. Well, not all of them, but I would say like 70, 80%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of them are, some of them are just, you know, words that come with age too. So uh -huh. yeah, I'll admit, I still don't, I'm fluent in English and I still listen to a lot of music and I don't understand what the words are and I gotta go look it up. So I did that oh. too. That's like hearing problem. <laughs> oh my. Right? Yes, oh. people are, 
I get the comment sometimes where they're like, you're a musician. Shouldn't you be really good at hearing? I'm like, no, I have just ruined my ears. Yeah. We all, I think, have the same problem as musicians. You know, like we listen to music so often too loud. And we have to always, like Fred and I, <laughs> like when we work at night, we wear headphones because the kids are asleep. And then we would, you know, meet in the bedroom and then we were like shouting at each other. And then like, shh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I understand. Well, kind of getting back into more, you know, that technical aspect of yeah. composition. Mm. Um, one thing I noticed was you started working with the Budapest Symphony Orchestra before you actually, you know, got the film. Yeah. 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 Um, how did that kind of, you know, change the, you know, typical composition process? Did you actually end up writing to picture or was a lot of it, you know, composed before you actually got the film? Like, what was your process like with, you know, actually bringing the score to life? Okay, so um, when we had the first initial meeting with all the executives, um, you know, this is when you discuss which direction they want the music to go in, right? And they basically gave me a blank canvas, which is like the best thing that could help it happen to a composer. But at the, at the same time, I felt like I was just thrown into the universe with no direction to follow. So because they wanted something experimental. Now that can mean so many things, right? So um, um, I was, I was <laughs> I ask questions like, oh, yeah, sounds good, but do you have any like reference? Like, how experimental are we talking? Because, you know, are we talking about like arrival kind of, you know, the music for the film arrival, that kind, or, uh, or, oh my God, what's that movie? Uh, the uh, War of the Worlds kind of experimental. Because it could it could mean so many things, and uh, so uh, one of the producers mentioned uh, there will be blood by Johnny Greenwood and Joker by Hildor, and um, so I kind of got really vague idea what they wanted, so. Um, I basically spent that following week in the studio creating this uh, sound, that experimental sound, um, both with synth and or orchestra, like in a string section. Um, so I created an uh, array of aleatoric effects and some very eerie sounding or uh, intimidating sounding uh, beds of sound with orchestra uh, with uh, strings and then that's what it, that's what I recorded with uh, Budapest before I st started scoring and then so I incorporated those sounds into the score and then it becomes it uh, a lot of times it was used to uh, depict the monster that you see. It starts slow, 
but all these effects you will see when it's in full form that's when i really go full scale with the sounds that i created before i scored so yeah that's why we had two uh sessions one for the you know effect sound before i even started working on the film and then another one my more musical one that basically a score score Oh, that is so cool. When I was listening to it, I never would have guessed that some of those sounds were aleatoric. That is so cool. Yeah, I have fun with that. I have a, a love-hate relationship with aleatoric music. As a composer, I love using it. As a performer, I do get nervous when I see it on the page. Yes, yeah. String players don't really love it, especially... Um, when the effects that I want um, are like strenuous on the on their instruments, like they really hate me. But like, oh, I'm so sorry. But can we do this for one more time? <laughs> you no, know, sometimes you just need to do it. I I play a clarinet, and I've oh. had times where you know I get asked by composers to do something, and I'm like, you know, this is gonna break my reed. Right. But it's okay. It'll be okay. <laughs> You know, there are worse things than broken reeds. As long as my instrument's still intact, it's okay. But I am biased as, you know, a composer. Yes. Like, it's worth it. That's why I yeah. love the percussionists, though. I, we're working on a piece right now where I got the percussionists all a bunch of buckets from Home Depot. Mm -hmm. And the first thing one of them said when I handed him the buckets was, I'm going to destroy these. <laughs> those oh, are perfect. I mean, that's fun though those are fun sessions yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah. i've taken some you know kitchen stuff and just started banging to you know create some sounds those are fun oh yeah you know yeah. i i'm very lucky i have a balcony here at my apartment i have yeah. you know had the fun experience of throwing something off of my balcony and holding out a mic and being like did we get it nice i'm glad you're having fun creating music it it's a ton of fun i'm biased oh hi freddie i think i just heard him in the back oh hold on let me oh i mean let me close the door shut it was a little ajar i think that's why you heard him sorry uh, it's all good <laughs> that's just the power of strong microphones <laughs> i because i have three roommates that's why i have to have a sound shield ah because we all did Zoom school last year. So we we just had to get used to everyone being on mics. Aw. Yeah, that sucks. I feel I feel really terrible for you know college students who go through these difficult time of our lives. You know what? For me, it worked out because I, you know, started the show and now we're on season oh. three. Oh, that's what that's when you started the show. Yeah, three years ago. Ah, welcome. Yeah, you. Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, Freddie was on the first season. I think he was like the second episode, so he helped oh, me start it. Nice. Because I met him at Comic Con before that. Because if you mm -hmm. hadn't guessed, I am a very big nerd. <laughs> so actually, building off of that, you know, nerdiness mm -hmm. before coming to the boys, you did as you mentioned earlier a lot of stuff with you know DC and all that. What was it like going from you know that style of animation into something that, at least in my opinion, is very 
different, uh-huh. but you know, still superheroes. Right. Well, but it's different because DC is like, I didn't write the music. I just orchestrated. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. I have very limited creative input there because, you know, mm-hmm. Freddie, um, you know, cause you should, it's, Freddie, when I get the sketch from Freddie, it's mostly done. I, there's not much like room for me to go creative. Although sometimes, you know, um, perk of working for husband, I just put my idea in and go, what, what does it look like? I mean, like, you know, <laughs> how do you like it? And so he says, okay, good. And, but you know, what other, what other choice does he have? So I sometimes do stuff that like I would not do when I know when I work for other composers you know like stepping over line but I'm allowed once in a while so anyway so I didn't write those but so I think that's why it's different you know Mm -hmm. more than any reason because this is all me did you do all of your own, own orchestration for this? Or did you have the experience of hiring an orchestrator? Oh, I did everything. I did nice. composing, orchestrated, and then I even made parts. I even copied. But I would have conducted, but we couldn't get a session uh, here in LA because of all the restrictions of, you know, that comes from COVID and stuff. So we used, put a, I mean, yeah, Budapest. So I didn't get to conduct that even, you know, if I did, if I had done that, it would have been perfectly, like solely mine, but. The perfect hat trick. (laughs) But yeah, mostly it was all me. Well, I'm sure everyone's going to one, is wondering the same thing I am. What notation program do you use for writing your parts in the score? I use Finale. Good answer. I scared you were going to say Sibelius, which is the wrong answer. I'm glad that you you like my answer because, you know, more and more, you know, people I talk to, you still use Finale? You know, you, and I say, yes, well, you know, I'm used to it. I, this is what I started, you know, uh, since 2001 and I'm used to it. I'm not switching over. And you know with the set of quickies I work pretty fast um so yeah I cannot imagine learning a whole another program and programming my own you know shortcuts for that and then memorize yeah it sounds a, a little too much <laughs> I tried using Sibelius for a whole hour mm-hmm. and then I was like this is too hard and I just switched right back to finale same thing I struggled for a day. I thought, you know, because I know Finale pretty well, once I know where all the same functions are in Sibelius, I would probably catch up pretty quick, but I was very much mistaken. So I gave up after like day of trying. Exactly. Also, my professor's also use finale so if I ever have an issue I can just be like hey how do I do this (laughs) I came into college using just free programs but I eventually uh shelved out my money for finale because Mm -hmm. I realized I needed to use more than 13 instruments at a time (laughs) ah is that all you can get with the free program uh, that's all I could use um with muse score at the time because it wouldn't 
because it was still in the early stage where it wouldn't let you change the size of the paper. Oh. And so everything had to be letter sized paper. And, you know, having more than, you know, 13 staves on a letter sized paper is just no good at that point. No, and 13 is already pushing on a letter size. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, exactly. 13 is if you have a lot of rests. <laughs> Which, as a clarinetist, I usually do. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I cannot say, like, I can't negate that. You know what? It's okay. That means that I have less to practice, which mm -hmm. means I can spend more time composing. Right. So right. it works out. Works out. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, so I was curious, prior to yeah. this project, were you familiar with the boys? Did you um, watch the live action series or anything? Or was this a whole like new experience? I did watch a few episodes um, because the premise was so interesting. So I started watching it <laughs> and then I was like, okay, this is pretty messed up. <laughs> so I didn't finish watching the bo uh, both seasons. I think I gave up um I don't know like mid halfway and then yeah I am I I I hope I'm not being too honest on this maybe I should have no. said that we appreciate honesty here no I was the same way so mm -hmm. I watched the first season and I was like this is really dark for me like it was darker than daredevil mm -hmm. and so um admittedly after I did composer squares for white bear PR back in 2020 they had me as a guest on composer squares mm -hmm. um, where they had the composer for the boys on there um, which was why I watched it after that I just stopped watching it <laughs> and so uh, I got the email from white bear PR about you coming on and then I watched the animated season which mm -hmm. you know probably because I didn't see season two of the boys I might have missed some things but that's okay yeah well this feels like you know this totally uh, holds up as a standalone I feel so mm -hmm. I think it's fine yeah think yeah, about I might have just missed I some jokes right the thing about me is that I cannot watch horror movies. I get I I, I get too freaked out. Um, even though I've worked on like dozens of horror movies, so I would I have to watch it, you know, for me to orchestrate. So I would have the window like this small for me to watch on this, you know, on my big logic uh, or finale. I mean, it was logic, like, you know, big logic window, like this small. And then I, I was just like, <laughs> like a slant, slanted look here and there to make sure that my orchestration is right. And the boys, some scenes were really graphic, um, especially with the very real sounding sound effects and stuff, so it really freaked me out. So that's why I stopped watching. Um, I think this was, my project was, I could take it much better because it was animated, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
No, every time I had a horror assignment for my film scoring class, Mm -hmm. because I also do not contain horror very well, Mm -hmm. I would watch it and I would put in all of the hits I wanted into the, you know, logic thing, put a note, a note in the markers, and then I would just stop watching the picture. (laughs) And then at the very end, I would watch it with the score to make sure it lined up that I hit the hits I wanted. Uh Um, you know, maybe do some beat mapping if I needed to, and then it'd be like, cool. But also, you know, that's a school assignment, not actual work work. So I could get away with more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. No, I think it's a great idea. Like when I watch it for the first time, like the work that I have to do, I watch it with a very low volume. So it doesn't like scare me so much. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> we have to work around well, it, right? <clears throat> exactly. Well, if it wasn't, you know, the animated gore that was the challenge with this um, assignment, what would you say was the biggest challenge with this score, with this project for you? Um, the biggest challenge was definitely definitely coming up with the sound palette. When they said experimental, they said they don't want anything you know, too corny, too cheesy in terms of musical progression um, throughout the film. So coming up with the sound palette was the most challenging part. And once I had that, it was, you know, at times it was agonizing, but it was so much fun. Like, I, I'm sure you would, you experience that too when you score a, a film, when they're good films, like when it just flows really nicely, you follow musically that much, you know, that smoothly too. It's when the, you know, film is really bumpy. That's when I cannot really, you know, catch up with, the, with my own rhythm to it. But this was really, you know, very well flowing uh, film. So once I had the palette, it was, I didn't have that much trouble. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this has been a really fun conversation. You answered all the questions that I had for you so well. Um, this is something yeah. new I'm trying with uh, this season of mm-hmm. chatting with creators. Do you have a question you would like to ask me before we finish out? What's your all-time favorite score? Ooh. Such a hard question. I feel like this answer changes like every month. <laughs> I would say right now, mm-hmm. It is um, Spider-Man 2, uh, the second Andrew Garfield um, Spider-Man movie. Okay. Um, scored by uh, the late Arnold Cohen. Um, because specifically because of the beautiful solo piano score that comes from the upside down rooftop kiss scene. I see. I've been listening to that like just in the car when I'm driving because it's been raining here. Ah. It's just so pretty. Uh-huh. I understand. And then two weeks ago, it was How to Train Your Dragon. <gasps> oh, I love this score. Which one? One, two, three. 
Two will always have my heart, Two? I think. Because it, I love singing the songs that are in it. Because oh, okay. it's one of, it was the first one where they actually had songs you could sing along to. And I got to play it in orchestra. So, you know, that's always, you know, just a fun experience when I get to say, oh, oh yes, I remember playing this. Oh, of course. Well, that must have been nice. Mine is What's three. your favorite film? Uh, three. That is such a good one, too. The, that, um, you know, the scene where, what's their names? The, those two dragons, they have like flying scene. Do you remember? Oh, um, Toothless and uh, the Lightwing. I always forget her name. Yes, Toothless and, you know, his, his partner. They, mm-hmm. like, this is where they connect and they, you know, fly through the sky and, and the music over that scene is so beautiful. Just like it reminded me of Out of Africa, the flying scene in Out of Africa, John Barry, remember that? Yeah. Because um, that scene is like really dear to my heart. And the, that scene in How to Train Your Dragon 3, it really reminded me. I, I remember like, because uh, I, I took my kids to the theater. And I sobbed because, oh my God, this is so beautiful. And kids were like, mommy, why are you crying? (laughs) Um, They're like, this is a happy moment. Oh, this is, yeah, this is a happy moment. This is so beautiful. (sighs) Yeah. One of my friends, she wrote her music theory thesis two years ago on the music from the How to Train Your Dragon movies. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Is it like published? or I don't I think she did publish it I'll have to ask her where it is but yeah it was two years ago my sophomore year she Mm. was when she finished it and defended her thesis and that was her whole musicology thesis was about the three how to train your dragon scores nice I want to read it me too I actually haven't read it because COVID happened and I got distracted Right. Yeah. Cool. We changed so much. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was fun to finally get to have a conversation with you. And I loved this episode of the series and I hope you get to, I hope I get to see you doing more, you know, head composer work in the future. Well, maybe, hopefully. Yes. I feel like it wasn't an interview, but more like I was just chatting with you very informal way so I'm not I, I I hope that I wasn't so um like goofy or silly or <laughs> no it was perfect I like to make my interviews informal I Good. am not one for you know just you know sitting down in my you know business chair I'm actually sitting on a ball right now to be completely <laughs> honest um I sit, sitting on an exercise ball I like to just have you know a chill conversation that's why the series is chatting with creators mm-hmm. good yes I feel like I chatted with a friend rather than uh you know being interviewed so it was fun for me too awesome well maybe who knows if you guys go down to San Diego for Comic Con I'll get to meet you in person oh maybe yes Let's see what happens. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll chat with you again soon. Bye. Bye. 
Hey y'all, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Chatting with Creators. You can check out Gemma's website in the description below or just going to highzuwoodman.com. You can check out my information on the link tree. Make sure to hit that subscribe button if you're on YouTube and as well as the subscribe button if you're listening to here on Spotify. Talk to you later. Bye.